All right. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I am normally one of your co-hosts. Uh, today, I'll be the only host, TJ Blackwell. Uh, it's so nice to have you here. I am with Kelly O'Sullivan, renowned friend of the podcast. We wanted to give a special hey, shout everybody. out to our patrons, uh, Austin, Russell, Sandra, Lily, Jeannie, Aaron, Justin, Freda, Taryn, and Dawn. And today, we're just going to talk with Kelly for a little bit about Genesis and... Uh, that's it. And you know, we always like to start with a silly question uh, because Josh's favorite form of unity is silliness because it's hard to disagree with something when you're being silly. But uh, today's is, would you rather live life as a Middle Earth orc, a Jawa from Star Wars, or a house elf from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter? And I will answer first to give Kelly as much time as he needs. Uh, okay. But I think I would pick a Jawa. Just because their lives seem not too hard, as long as you don't, you know, steal from the wrong people. Like, you know, just don't steal from any dude who looks like a main character. And I think I'd be fine. Uh, but what about you, Kelly? What are you? Orca Jawa or House Elf? Um, You know what? I, think about this. I, I, I'm not trying to copy you. Um, but I think I would choose a Jawa also. Of Part course. of the reason is because, I mean, you, you'd find all kinds of treasures, I mean, and, and junk and different kinds of droids. I just find that to be pretty exciting. Um, you know, yeah, house elves, you, like you don't really job. get to go out and explore a whole lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then an orc, I mean... I imagine it'd be fun for a little while until you'd be uh, um, killed by a main character. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I think I think yeah. I would go with Jawa. That just sounds yeah. a lot more exciting. It does. Plus, you know, as a Jawa or a house elf, it's not like your life's mission to go out and fight the main character. So, I think. Might not be a right answer, but Orc is definitely mm -hmm. the wrong answer. Yeah. But, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it would take a specific kind of person to want to be an Orc. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe seek therapy. But uh, I'm not here to judge you. If, if you choose Orc and you're listening, <laughs> that's more power to you. But... Uh, one reason we love having return guests on the show is getting the chance to catch up on their ministries and what they've been up to since they were last on. Uh, so what have you been doing since last time? What's been going on? So, so um, a lot has happened since last time. I think I was on the uh, summer of 2020. Um, since then, that uh, it was 2020. Gosh, time has flown. Uh, since then, we've had uh, a yeah. lovely daughter that was born in uh, December of 2020. She was a little premature, um, and she has had some complications early on, but she's incredible. Uh, her name's Clementine. Uh, she's just over a year old, and we love her dearly. Um, so that's been a big change. Um, and I'm still kicking at church. Uh, at, uh, so I'm at Church of the Good Shepherd, which is an Anglican church um, out in, uh, in the outskirts of Winston-Salem, kind of suburbia out there, uh, Bermuda Run. 
And um, I'm actually in less than a month, I'm going to be ordained as a priest uh, in the Anglican Church. So that's a that's pretty exciting. I've been a pastor there functionally, awesome. functioning as a pastor, and I've I've already been ordained a deacon. And so, um, so yeah, that's that's um, that's kind of in some what I've been up to. Sweet. That's uh that's super cool. Bit of a, a transitionary deaconate, which if you check out our upcoming series called church offices, you'll learn what that means. But uh, you mentioned before uh, in a previous talk, uh, some of the debate around Genesis and how to understand it and how it contributed to your salvation arc at UNCW. Uh, could you tell us some of the story behind your struggle with the book of Genesis and how you've come to understand it now? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it was interesting. I think I was originally going to come on right after, uh, or, uh, December of 2020, uh, after my daughter was born. And so I had to cancel because that was unexpected. Um, but what, what I would say is when I became a Christian, I was an atheist for a long time beforehand and having, um, that kind of a, a view of the world, it carried along some, some baggage. Um, and one of the big things I had to wrestle through and, and struggle with was how do we make sense of Genesis, uh, specifically Genesis one through two, but also, um, the, uh, parts, uh, where there's a genealogy, uh, where people are hundreds of years old, um, and Noah's Ark, and is that a worldwide flood and how to kind of put all of those different pieces together if you believe. And I, and I, when I first became a Christian, I still held to a view of um, uh, natural selection, evolution, uh, the earth being, um, what, a billion years old, and then the universe being uh, several billion, year, billion years old. Um, and so I, I kind of had those presuppositions when I came to the text of the Bible. And I was like, well, I know Christians are supposed to believe in the Bible, but I can't take this literally, you know. So that's <laughs> kind of, and that's not the way to go about interpreting scripture. That's sort of where I, I came from. And I had to wrestle with a lot of these different issues and really kind of check my own presuppositions in coming to the text. Um, and where I would come to now, a uh, different starting point with really the whole Bible, but uh, specifically we're talking about Genesis, is first off trusting that this is God's word. Um, but then coming to the text on its own terms, interpreting it, um, in, you know, in the genre that it's, you know, um, inter interpreting it, not like woodenly or literalistically, but literarily, like what's the genre of the specific book or specific passage that I'm reading, you know? Um, and so I found, I, I find that to be helpful because there is, um, there's historical narrative. There is poetry. That's what the the Psalms are. Um, there there are biographies. That's what, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's historic. That's say the Gospels. Um, you you kind of um, get a an inside glimpse at um, Christians communicating with other Christians. Letters um, uh, in the in the um, epistles of of Paul and other um, early uh, church writers. So uh, that's that's kind of like a, an overall hermeneutic of where how someone should come to the, the, the Bible or that's how that's where I am now. 
Um, and again, that's not where I've always been. Um, I think the specific question is how do you interpret Genesis one, you know, um, seven days creation. Um, how do you interpret Noah's ark and the global flood? So it seems in the scriptures. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, I think the question at hand, and I don't know if you want to interject, uh, at any point, but that's kind of where, um, that, that was the big struggle that I had. Right. Now this, this show's all about you. I'll, I'll try not to interrupt, uh, especially dealing with a little bit of lag like we have now. <laughs> I think it'll just get okay. real messy, but, uh, mm -hmm. so what was, what was, yeah, or why was this one part of the Bible, Genesis, especially important to you? Um, well, I think the reason this was um, so important, I, I, I think I knew well, the church that I was at um, when I first became a Christian, um, and I don't, I don't know if they have a um, a statement of faith anywhere that said this is exactly what like we believe, but it was generally believed that. Uh, specifically with Genesis one, that they believed in a literal twenty-four hour, seven-day uh, creation story, as in it's um, literal. Like um, I don't want to um, literalistic, so to speak. Um, and I also knew that you know if Jesus was raised from the dead, um, then this is true. I already come came to that. Um, as in Christianity is true, and this is God's word, I already came to that conclusion. But I think the big question was like, okay, so I'm reading this, and then from my understanding, the natural world looks different. You know, uh, the evidence seems to look different. That's that's sort of where I I was. But it was important because I was like, okay, this is this is my faith. This is um, you know, I, I wanted to know what was true. Um, I wanted to know. Um, what the Bible really taught. And if, in part of it, you know, especially early on, I was like, can this be trusted? Um, that, that's, that was kind of the, the, the question. Um, and so, so what I would say is that, um, where I eventually came to was actually a historic interpretation of Genesis one in particular. Um, so I'll start by, by talking about my view on that. Um, with, with Genesis one, I came to this point, the point of view that if it literally happened like that, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't object to it, but it's not written as if it's a, um, historic narrative. It's written as if it is uh, poetic, like the Psalms. Um, so when you read Genesis one, um, and I'm just going to open my Bible, um, you have, uh, a refrain that repeats throughout. You have at the end of the first day, there was evening and there was morning the first day. And that continues through every single day, uh, except the seventh day. Uh, and it's like the seventh day is not bound by, by history, by time. So there's something different about God resting on the seventh day in the first six days of creation as you read it. And then if you um, note patterns within it, there's creation of it and then filling of it. And, and um there's the creation in the first three days of, um, of, of creation uh, and, and uh, creatures, so to speak. 
And then in the second three days, there's kind of a series of creaturely kings in a sense and humans being the um, more kingly, the one that has dominion over all of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. So there's this poetic framework that's there in Genesis 1 in particular. And so that's kind of where I, I landed um, with regard to um, you know, how do I make sense of this? And, and part of that was um, looking at, um, you know, how have Christians in the past interpreted this? Um, you know, there are uh, Christians like uh, our church fathers, like Augustine, who uh, didn't in, um, see Genesis 1 as needing to be um, seen as literalistic or woodenly woodenly um you know and and i'll be honest when i first came to it it was like okay i need to figure out how to understand this passage because i i can't square it away with what i understood stand with evolution you know what, what i understand with geology and so that's not how i would want to to go to a text um now um but that's that's where i ended up and it, and i think it actually does justice to how if you come without any presuppositions to the text and read it, you, you would say, well, this is kind of structured like a poem. This has a refrain. This has, you know, a pattern to it. Um, and you notice the things that are similar. You notice the things that are, that are different. And then when you read the Bible, you notice other passages that kind of piggyback off of this. Um, obviously, the, the application of, well, we rest on the seventh day is, is taking it to be so, uh, uh, seven literal 24 hour days. But then when you see the prophets, um, you know, one example being, if I can find it, uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah references Genesis one. He references creation when he talks about God's judgment. Um, in, uh, uh Jeremiah four twenty three, he says, and he's talking about Judah and Judah's, you know, being judged and flattened. He says, I looked on earth and behold, it was without form or void. And to the heavens, they had no light. I looked on the mountains and behold, they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked and behold, there was no man and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a desert and its cities were laid in ruin before the Lord, before his fierce anger. So Jeremiah, the prophet, is referencing Genesis and he's not necessarily saying, um, that you know the that Jerusalem will be unmade in the sense that it'll be taken back to before God had created, but he is saying it's going to be unmade. Um, you find similar references to Genesis one in apocalyptic literature um, that you can find in the Bible. Um, Isaiah, who was another prophet, uh, spoke of judgment about Babylon. In Isaiah thirteen, he says. Um, before the b behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, and to destroy its sinners from from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the, the wicked for their iniquity. Um, this is about not the entire world; it's about Babylon, uh, and that's clear when you read Isaiah thirteen, and you know. Um, the sun didn't stop shining. The the stars didn't stop shining. But what was being communicated that was that God was going to turn out the lights on Babylon. 
and he used a similar sort of a, a this language that picks up on Genesis, but is apocalyptic. It's symbolic. Um, Jesus himself does this in um, the Olivet Discourse when he talks about uh, the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and so that's that that's kind of the application of of this um, to read the Bible uh, in its in its literary genre. Um, there are times where the it's it's pretty obvious and apparent that it's something's not intended to be read uh, literally. And we we all kind of come with uh, we all sort of symbolize the text in some ways. And um, for example, uh, some people might read when Jesus says, this is my body uh, about bread and wine. They might say, oh, he's meaning it represents my body or it's symbolic. Um, when we hear um, in first Peter, I think it's first Peter three twenty one. Is that, is that it? Where baptism now saves you. Some people might say, well, that's being metaphorical or, or um, so. something along those lines. And that's okay. But uh, we all, yeah, we, we all sort of um, have an interpreted grid uh, when we come to the text. And so, um, you know, that, that's kind of the hermeneutic that I would come to now. Um, it's different with, with, um, the story of Noah's Ark, because I don't think that that's actually, uh, it, it doesn't read like it's metaphorical. I think you can read it and see, see a, a local flood. And by local, I don't mean like the, the known world, or I, I don't mean like, um, I don't mean like a small pond floods. I mean like the known world floods. It's catastrophic, but it doesn't have to be the entire globe. Um, but that's, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking. And I, <laughs> I've talked enough for, for now. Hey guys, we just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a few ways that you can support us, the whole church podcast, your favorite church unity podcast. Yeah, so you can donate to our cash app using the tag that's in the show notes. You can follow us on patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever great podcasts are found. You can rate this show on Apple podcast or Podchaser. You can sign up for our newsletter by going to our website or by emailing us at thewholechurch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you could share this episode on your own social media. Especially that last one. Uh, news travels fastest by word of mouth, which, you know, since the internet has been invented is much, much faster than it used to be and ridiculously helpful. So please just, you know, slap this episode up on your socials. You think it'd be more or less helpful if they went to their neighbor's house and mentioned it also? Probably less. Okay. Depends on how friendly your neighbors are. Wow. Should we get back to the show? Yeah. Right. And uh, if you are curious about what he said about a local flood, we've actually done an episode on uh, the different views in Genesis in our, uh, man, what is that series called? Uh, Divided Scriptures. Uh, so go check that out if you are interested. But uh, back to this show. Uh, where where do we draw the line for unity? Uh, do you think there's one particular thing in Genesis that you have to believe or it would impact your salvation? That's a that's a really good question. Um, so I would take a little bit more of a lenient approach when it comes to Genesis um, with with other people. Um, and by lenient, I, I have some 
essentials that I, I think are, you know, you, you can't break on, on those. But what I mean by that is this, um, you know, I, I, um, I really struggled with evolution um, early on. I don't think I would consider myself an evolutionary creationist. I think I'm an, I would be an old earth creationist. Um, and, and part of the reason is I think that the theory of evolution was, um, as it currently exists, the, uh, Darwinian synthesis, uh, it, it's changing because it, it turns out it, it's got great explanatory power, but doesn't explain everything. So they have something called the extended synthesis where they've modified it and they're continuing to modify it and it'll continue to change. Um, the theory of evolution um, was created in the uh, 19th century uh, at a time where everyone kind of assumed that human progress was inevitable. There's this sort of march of progress, and it's it fit in really well with with that world. Uh, that's where we get Marxism from, which is it has kind of this evolutionary view of economics. Um, it, it fit in pretty well with Hegelianism, and actually, I think it probably uh, Hegelianism sort of led to the modern theory, theory of evolution. I would not want to say that someone who believes that God used evolution sovereignly, and I, and I and I, that could very well have been the case, where God had predestined and sovereignly allowed uh, life to develop um, from simple to complex. I would not want to say that a Christian, a person who believes that the Bible is the, the word of God, who believes that, that God used evolution to create um, all the life that we have now over uh, um, a long period of time. I would not want to say that that person's not a Christian. I don't think I could land there anymore, um, but I, I would not want to say that. Um, there are some people know that don't that believe that Adam was a more of a metaphorical figure, you know, um, or represented all of mankind. Um, I don't. I don't think I would, I mean, I, I would, I would be concerned with some of those ideas, but I don't think I would draw the line there. Um, I think I would probably draw the line at, do you believe this is God's word, that this is inerrant, that you, that this is inspired by God um, about the entire Bible, but especially when we're talking about Genesis one, you could believe it's poetic um, and not deny any of that. Um, but I think that, that I, would, I would probably uh, draw the line right there. Um, and I think that being the case, we can apply Genesis, um, you know, in, in many different ways. In fact, I think it's intended to be applied, in, uh, applied that way. I mean, one application would be, um, having a weekly Sabbath. Uh, that's how the Bible applies Genesis, you know? Um, one application for say like Genesis two about Adam and Eve, um, you know, uh, uh, verse 20, uh, uh, Genesis two twenty four. therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and, the, and they shall become one flesh. If you think that that narrative about Adam and Eve is metaphorical, okay, I, I, I get that, but that's, I mean, I would still say this is God's word and that's an application is kind of like premarital counseling, leaving and cleaving. You know, we were, uh, taught that in premarital counseling, my wife and I, um, so I think it still applies to our life. Um, I think we could still say it's God's word, but um, I think the question of you know genre and specific meaning is it um, seven literal twenty four hour um, days or is it 
a, a poetic framework that communicates something literal and true, that God created the universe, um, that God created all things that exist. So that's kind of where I would dry, draw the line. Um, and it's interesting, you know, apart from the application, um, and I'm thinking Genesis 1, apart from the application uh, to the weekly Sabbath, you know, um, like the book of Psalms reiterates the creation story, and it sort of sounds like it's instantaneous. I think it's Psalm 33. Um, I don't remember the specific verse, but uh, God says, be, uh, uh, and it was, I think that's, uh, but it sounds like it was just an instantaneous creation. And I'm, I'm going to search real quick to see if I can actually, uh, quote that and not sound like, uh, someone that's just making something up out of thin air. Um, but there's a, a few different, uh, rec um, recountings of the actual, um, creation story. So yeah, uh, Psalm 33 verse nine. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. I think that's reiterated towards the very end of the Psalter. Um, Psalm 74 says something really unusual that I don't entirely understand at all. And I, and I probably should dive a little bit more. But Psalm 74 verse 13, you divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. I don't entirely know how to apply, or I don't know what to make of that. I haven't studied it um, a lot, but I could agree with God has established the heavenly lights. He's um, everything that's fixed um, in the sky and all the boundaries of the earth the the seasons God's created and, and that's you know I think that that's kind of one thing that we could say is creation stories say that you know I, I don't think they're consistent throughout the Bible but they always say God is the one who's sovereign and has created all things so um so in short mm -hmm. saying it's God's word and applying it as if it were God's word um is where I would draw the line for unity I mean, I, I think that when one denies that, that, that that's where we get into murky territory. Right. So how, how should the church reach out to those struggling with the same ideas that you once had? So um, I, I think that the, um, the church needs to be open to having discussions and realizing people really struggle with this. I think, one thing would be providing some good um, resources. Uh, so Hugh Ross, I think it's Reasons to Believe, was really helpful um, in wrestling with some of the um, the questions with evolution. The guy's brilliant, and he was able to poke holes and and or, or not necessarily poke holes, but po point out some of the blind spots of the um, modern theory of evolution, um, which was helpful for me. Um, Actually, the ministry of William Lane Craig, who uh, in de debates and in writing had mentioned, even if evolution was true, um, it would be so astro astronomically improbable that humankind would ever come about. So it's a miracle, um, which is helpful for me to hear. Um, but I think so. I think one providing resources like that. I know some people who would point to say answers in Genesis, who's that's a little bit more um, young earth uh, uh, creationism. 
And you know what? I think that those resources need to be shared because we, we need to wrestle with those ideas. Um, and a lot of that is looking at evidence. But I think teaching on, you know, what does the Bible actually say? Um, how does it need to be interpreted is another thing. Uh, and then having some sort of an open forum for uh, discussing these ideas. Um, I think that that would be that would be good. Um but I think pre um, predominantly the first, right. I wish that the, the church and I'm, I want to do and, and I'm striving to do my own ministry to share resources like that, um, to share uh, more apologetics resources and to really put those in especially young people's hands. Um, you know, that's we are doing we have a, a, a youth. Um, I don't want to call it a youth group, but basically a student class right now that I'm leading with kids on Sundays called defense against the dark arts. And, uh, it's a fun name, but we're essentially talking through apologetics and, um, we're not shying away from a lot of the big questions kids have. Um, so I think that that's, that's important. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's nice to hear somebody wants a change to happen and is also in a position to make that change. So, uh, so how does your reading yeah. of Genesis impact your views on other passages yeah. of scripture, which, you know, you've already hit on a good bit here, but like the parallels in revelation or when Paul discusses how we all send an Adam and are all saved in one man, Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, so the latter, um, passages like how we've all sinned in Adam and all are saved in one man, Jesus. Uh, I don't have a problem with that because I do happen to believe in one man, Adam, um, having existed. Uh, I, I think that if someone does have more of a metaphorical view of Adam, I think that they can get into some trouble with that. Um, I know there are some people, I'm not going to name um, uh, scholars who I, I think they've, they've kind of left orthodoxy. Um, and this is kind of a gateway to leaving orthodoxy. I think that's an, that's a, that can be an issue, but I wouldn't want to say that people who think that Adam are, Adam was metaphorical. I wouldn't want to say that they're, um, you know, not Christians or anything like that, but I do think that that's one of the implications you have to wrestle with. Like you, you have to wrestle with that. The, the kind of the federal headship of, of Adam versus that of Jesus is that if Adam's not a real person, I mean, you know, it, it, the, it kind of takes the wind out of the sails there uh, for, for, um, for the argument Paul's making. Um, and I did all, yeah, I did already kind of mention that with revelation. So when I first became a Christian, um, is that a church that was uh, dispensational um, and I'm not dispensational anymore uh, to kind of short, short explain that dispensationalism um, places a, a big uh, emphasis on, um, specifically on the end times and the rapture. Um, and it's kind of an interpreted grid for how to read the old Testament and the new Testament. Um, and I don't see it that way, um, anymore. So, um, I think there are some things that I think Jesus intends to say literally like, behold, I'm coming soon. And, uh, these, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Um, and then some things that are a little bit more metaphorical, like, um, uh, the stars being, um, uh, turning black and the sun turning black and the moon, not, sh uh, shining its light. Um, and so 
where I, I've come to with a lot of that is I actually think that a lot of what's happening in Revelation and in Jesus's Olivet Discourse, a lot of it, not all of it, uh, happened um, around the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, I think that was Jesus's prophecy. I think it was was fulfilled within one generation, 40 years after his death and resurrection. Um, but obviously, I don't think Jesus has come back yet. Um, I, I think that we are still awaiting his second coming um, um, to earth and the new creation. Uh, but what that does is that it, it um, the interpretation of Genesis that I've come to to read in its genre um, has kind of helped me to see the genre in Revelation and in other apocalyptic literature. Um, and so that's kind of why I am. So the term is preterist. I actually think that a lot of these things were fulfilled uh, in the past, um, you know, after the Bible is written, in my opinion, but, um, you know, but in our past, looking back, uh, that's kind of how I came to that conclusion. Um, so I right. think that and in, in, in that's, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that, uh, I'll kind of summarize, I'll, I'll kind of uh, wrap it up there. All right, yeah. Uh, it's it's always so interesting to hear someone lay out so many of their beliefs at the same time. But, uh, you know, that that's what the show is best at. <laughs> uh, we love to hear it. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know there's going to be a lag with this, but. Uh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, so, um, I think that the, uh, you know, the way that one interprets, uh, Genesis does impact the way that one interprets revelation. I just think, I mean, how, how one interprets the Bible in the different genres, they just seem to impact each other. Um, and so, it, I mean, but at the same time, it's all God's word and it's all intended to be applied to us as God's word. And so, um, yeah. Uh, it stinks that lag's happening because yeah. <laughs> um, it feels like there's like 30 seconds of, of time. And I'm like, can I interject or not? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's it's at least a solid seven or eight seconds. But uh, so, as you know, uh, if you do remember, uh, we always like to ask our guests to give us a single tangible action to help maintain unity in the church. So if you had to give our listeners a single action they could take right now, what would it be? Um, what I would say, uh, and it doesn't relate to what we're, we're talking about with, um, with uh, you know, in the interpretation of the Bible and hermeneutics. But what I would say is, um, and this is helpful for me, to visit a different kind of church. Um, so... For example, if you're at a non-denominational church, try to visit um, a denominational church. Go and visit a Baptist church. See what it's it's about. Um, another very different uh, kind of church I would recommend visiting would be, say, a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox church. You know, I I have my disagreements theologically with those churches, but I I would still say it's beneficial to go and visit those. Um, obviously I, I would, uh, I'm biased. I think, um, you should visit an Anglican church. Uh, so, uh, 
search the ACNA and Google and Anglican Church and visit it. You're welcome to come to Good Shepherd and just kind of see what what uh, an Anglican Church looks like, um, you know, or maybe Presbyterian. But just choose something that's very different. Maybe it's outside of your comfort level, but it's a Christian church. Uh, they believe in um, uh, that Jesus is Lord and that you know he, God raised him from the dead. They believe in the gospel that um, uh, that we're saved by grace through faith, whatnot. Um, I would say go and check out uh, a church like that, that maybe worships differently from you because, um, the whole worship wars thing that's happened doesn't need to be a war. You know, um, it could be, it doesn't need to be a cold war either. It, it could be, um, a, a negotiation, <laughs> so to speak. So that's, uh, I think a ramification, uh, is that if everyone did that, then I think there would be less, um, uh, kind of, um, I don't know. I think that would be a lot more unifying to be like, oh, people worship in different ways. And it's not all and, and my way is not always the right way. So it would kind of help get us out of our echo chamber, so to speak, and realize there are other kinds of Christians out there. So I think that that would be beneficial uh, to the unity of the church. A very practical step. You could do it this Sunday. Right. Uh, I, that that is one of my favorite answers. We've gotten it a couple of times, and it's just it's it's a really solid one. Everyone should check out a church they're not a part of, because you never know what you might have believed about these people that was completely wrong. Which is a big part of the reason we started this show was to just explain to people what you think about these other denominations is probably not as crazy as it is, but. Uh, and of course, uh, we always like to do the God Moment segment here at yeah. Before the Outro. Uh, it's where we just take a minute to share what all God has been up to with us recently, uh, whether it be a challenge or a blessing, a moment of worship, what have you. And I will go first to give our esteemed guest as much time to think about it as possible. And uh, I think I think my God Moment is going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, Maybe a moment of prayer uh, for my co-host, our friend Josh. Uh, he's going through some family struggles right now, mm. uh, which is why he's not here. And, you know, if everyone could just send a prayer to Josh, which by the time this is out, it will have passed, but it's still still good to, you know, pray for people. And I think that's going to be my God moment. Uh Kelly, do you have a, a God moment for us hmm. today? I'm sure I do. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and this is this has been actually really since uh, little Clementine was born. It's uh, really tested uh, our faith and, and pushed us um, in, in many ways to trust in the Lord. Uh, when Clementine was first born, she had a lot of difficulties Um she had a, a, a significant brain bleed and um, a lot of uh, problems with that. But um, God has really blessed us um, with her. She's incredible. She's wonderful. And even if she does have significant uh, delays or disabilities lifelong, um, it's still she's still a huge blessing. And um, what's been wonderful is, and, and this is um, a way that God's just been faithful to us. It's just. Uh, just seeing her personality come out as time goes on, it's really hard to 
like to explain because I, I mean, this is, this is our firstborn. I had no idea what it was like to have kids beforehand. Um, but, um, you know, this, since, since Christmas break, her personality has really come out. She's laughed, um, a lot more. She's shown a lot of awareness and, um, it's just really incredible. So it's not as much a God moment as it is a, a God, um, yeah, I guess it was a God moment, but, uh, in, in that it's been the past month or so, but, um, I'm just so thankful for the blessing that our little daughter is. And so, um, shout out to little Clementine. And Oh, also I love being called an esteemed right. guest, but I'm not going to let that go to my head. <laughs> yes. Most of our guests are equally esteemed. Uh, I'll let the audience decide who isn't. Uh, spoiler alert. It's probably the people we know the most. But, you know, they're all esteemed to me. Uh, so, uh, and it's so great to hear about your daughter mm -hmm. and, you know, she just turned one and, you know, becoming a full person, you know, exhibiting characteristics of a personality and all that. That's really awesome. Uh, so if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. Yeah. Uh, you always get that choice. Uh, if you just have someone out there you really hate, uh, First of all, don't do that. Hate is bad, but also send them this episode. Uh, and so, Kelly, where can people find you? Or you might turn work? them into a friend. Um, so people can find me at, uh, you know, I'm always really bad at the spelling, but goodshepherdbermudarun.org. For some reason, everyone gets tripped up in the spelling of the word shepherd. Just Google uh, the word shepherd. But anyways, goodshepherdbermudarun.org. We're in um, Bermuda Run, North Carolina, right outside of Winston-Salem. Uh, that's the best way to find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm trying to cut back on Facebook because uh, social media is kind of like the junk food of media. Uh, but it's also a great way to connect with other people. So obviously when this comes out, I'm going to post this on social media. But um, that's another way you can connect with me is through Facebook. All right. Uh, some future guests for the show. We have Sam Rayner, the president of Church Answers and pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church. And we have an eight-part series about church offices featuring interviews with 12 different church leaders, including our friend Kelly O'Sullivan. Uh, a couple weeks break, unfortunately. And maybe at the end of season one, Francis Chan. He just hopefully doesn't know about it yet because that would mean he's declined. Woo. But thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kelly, for your time. And... Uh, <laughs> Join us next week. <laughs>